Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Good morning. We doing good? Yeah? Awesome. Good to see everyone here. Uh, So we are ending our series called Foolproof. Uh, We're going to start a new series beginning next month. I giggle every single time I say the name of the series. It's called Punched in the Faith. If you've ever been through a difficult time, dealt with uh, um, disappointment or doubt, that's what we're going to be talking about next month. Uh, Really looking forward to it. Uh, before I get started on this morning, I want to remind you of a few things. Again, uh, baptism is happening right after this service. As, as uh, soon as we're done, I encourage you to stay for a few extra moments and cheer for those that are getting baptized. It's going to be great. Discover VFCs at 5 o'clock. Um, just come through the main doors. We'll let you know where to go. Uh, if you are relatively new to VFC or you've been here for a while but you've never been to this class, this is just kind of who we are and, 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 and why we exist. And uh, It's about an hour and 15 minutes. You'll get any questions you have answered. Uh, it's, it's a blast. And then Course 101, our school of ministry, the first class is starting tonight, okay? It's going to be awesome. If you've not been through Course 101, I really, really encourage you to. It's, it's, we call it Bible Boot Camp, all right? Believer's Boot Camp. It's, it's what to believe in an easy-to-understand way. Um, there's going to be uh, group talks and breakout sessions, so you can kind of discuss with other people at your, at your table. And so I just encourage you, uh, if you haven't been through 101, uh, sign up before you leave, and we'll have a book ready for you, and uh, it's going to be good stuff. Um, so to finish the foolproof series, I, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the wise guys in Scripture. There are a lot of people that are wise, uh, but Solomon, you just can't talk about wisdom without talking about Solomon. Uh, and so before I get to his life, I just want to remind you real quick, we've defined wisdom during this series as knowledge applied skillfully. It's not just knowledge. You can know something, uh, and without it being applied, it doesn't really matter. Just that, that knowledge lies dormant in your brain. It's not wisdom at all. Um, we said the, the first week, I've heard this quote, that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is fruit, is a fruit, but, but wisdom is knowing that you shouldn't put it in a fruit salad. It's applying that knowledge skillfully. So it's not just applied, but it's skillfully applied. And that's the, the Hebrew word for, for wisdom is based on that word skillful, doing things well, doing things in a way that helps yourself and helps those around you. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7 uh, says, uh, wisdom is the principal thing. The beginning, the foundational thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. It's really, really important that we get wisdom, that we pursue wisdom. It is first. It's the beginning, and it's foundational. So I want to talk to you about Solomon real quick, and I'm going to tell you his story um, by the way, all the notes are in uh, our app. If you haven't downloaded the, the Victory Fellowship Church app, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. And if you go to Sundays at VFC, you'll see the sermon notes there. Fill in the blanks so you can keep up with everything that's going on. But uh, you know, Solomon was known to be one of the wisest people that ever lived. 
Um, he actually uh, is credited for authoring three books uh, that are in our Bible. Uh, Proverbs, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, which was a collection of wise sayings. It was kind of like the Twitter of the ancient world, the little pithy quick sayings that, the, um, that he collected those and he gave them to his family and to his leaders so that they could be wise. Um, Ecclesiastes, which we'll talk about in a little bit, he wrote at the end of his life. Uh, if you're going through a, a down day, don't read Ecclesiastes, okay? It's kind of a downer. <laughs> uh, you'll see why in a little bit as we look at the life of Solomon. But there's a lot of wisdom in there. And then Song of Solomon, also known as Song of Songs. And uh, yeah, uh, that's, don't read it to your kids. That's all I'm going to say about that one. But Solomon was the oldest son of David and Bathsheba. If you may remember, that was one of David's serious uh, mistakes and sins that he made. Um, he, um, but he eventually ended up marrying Bathsheba. The child that they had that was in adultery passed away. So the oldest child of David and Bathsheba was Solomon. Uh, he actually wasn't in line originally to be the king that succeeded David. Uh, but David and the Lord had other plans he was known for his wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, 7 through 14, let me read this to you. Um, this is where uh, Solomon's having an encounter with God, and Solomon's just, he's just become king, and this is his conversation with the Lord. It says, verse, it says this in verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. I love that humility, right? I mean, he could have been like, you made me king. I'm going to kill it. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to do so much better than anyone else. No, no. He said, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. I'm here in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. You ever pray for the death of your enemies? Don't lie. Okay. Verse 12. I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. Verse 13. I will also give you what you didn't ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me, oh, here's a contingent clause. If you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Solomon was known for his wisdom. There's a famous story where two women come. They're both claiming to be the mother of a little child, and they're pleading their case. And how, how would Solomon know whose child it is, right? So in, in the stroke of genius, he goes, okay, cool. We're going to solve this. Y'all give me a sword. We're just going to cut the baby in two, and y'all can split him. The real mom goes, no, 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 no. Just let her have him. Let her have him. And the, and the, the, the fake mom says, sure, that's cool. And so Solomon knows instantaneously who the real mom is. That, so that, those kind of stories followed Solomon's life. One cool thing that he did is he, he built the first temple uh, for Israel. It took him seven years to build. It was, it was just an, an amazing feat of architecture. Just a gorgeous temple. It was a, it was a permanent residence for the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it had been you know, traveling as the children of Israel uh, had gone through their exodus. 
Um, he ruled with peace in the region. Um, you know, David was always going to, to war, but Solomon had, uh, had peace. Um, he had a lot of military strength, lots of horses and ships and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, lots of good diplomacy. He, he was able to work with neighboring countries. Um, he opened up new trade partnerships, founded colonies. I mean, this guy was an amazing ruler. And, and he, he put Israel on the map. In that time, I mean, I mean, it actually says in one at one part they were so wealthy. Israel was so wealthy that silver wasn't worth anything during Solomon's reign. It was just like, ah, oh, that's just silver. And, and so he was also really famous. He was really well known. Uh, the Queen of Sheba in First Kings chapter ten stops by, and she's just heard about all this awesome stuff that that Solomon's done, and that he's the wisest person. So she interviews him. She asks him some some riddles. He answers them all. Um, she, uh, he teaches her about all kinds of things. And it was just, and she's so impressed. She's like, wow, they, everyone was right. I mean, you, I don't want you guys to understand Solomon in his day would be like on the talk show circuit. Like he would be on the cover of every magazine. Like you would all know his name and say, oh yeah, Solomon. Yeah. Good guy. Like you would be so impressed with him. First Kings chapter four, 29 through 34, it says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding. And knowledge is vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrahite and the sons of Mahal, Heman, Calcol, and Darda. Y'all know those people, right? His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. I love that 1,005, not just 1,000. 1,005 songs. It's a lot of songs. It's hard to write a song, you guys. Verse 33, he could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. Kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. This guy was amazing. He would actually send ships out to foreign lands and come back with like peacocks and apes and all sort of animals and stuff. It was crazy. Like the, the, the wealth and the wisdom that this guy lived with it was amazing, unbelievable. Things didn't end well for Solomon. Isn't that crazy? One of the wisest people that we've ever seen on planet Earth, things didn't end well for him. That interests me. Doesn't that interest you? Have you ever seen a celebrity that has seemingly everything? They're such good speakers and they've got the perfect life. They've got tons of money. And then the next thing you know, there's like scandal. Or even we've seen some celebrities who seemingly had it all together and they take their own life. And here we have Solomon, this guy who saw God interacted with God, was granted by God amazing wisdom. He couldn't handle it. It didn't work out well for him. I I, I always like to know why. I don't know about you. I'm like, why did that happen? What happened in his life? And so I want to share with you four things I believe that caused problems in Solomon's life that we can learn from. And then we're going to look at the end of his life, some of the lessons that he has told us himself that he learned. So what went wrong with Solomon? What happened in his life? Well, here's the first thing. The first deal is materialism. 
Materialism took root in Solomon's life. Now, what do I mean by materialism? I mean the lust for money and the lust for things. Stuff. I don't know if you know this or not. You do if you've done any travel outside of the United States. There is a stronghold of materialism over our country. The poorest person in this room is one of the richest people in the world. The person in this room who has the least amount of stuff has more stuff than practically anyone else anywhere else. We we are consumed with materialism. Check out what happened with um, with Solomon. I'm not going to read uh, the the whole passage because it's long. First uh, Kings ten fourteen through twenty nine. It's amazing what he actually Solomon got twenty five tons of gold every year. And that didn't include uh, some other deals that he had going on. You can read this in verse 14. So I just, I just want to paint a picture here. 25 tons of gold is 50,000 pounds of gold. Today, gold is worth about 19, a little over $19,000 a pound. So in today's dollars, that's just shy of a billion dollars a year. So that was Solomon's annual income was a billion dollars a year. That's just from tribute money. He, he had other deals on the side going on. Some, some scholars estimate that his net worth in today's dollars would be well over a trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. That, that's a lot of money. He own, his own palace, now he built the temple, which was amazing, right? It was great. But he also built his own palace. And his own palace was much bigger than the temple. I actually went through and calculated the square footage as I was studying for this. And it was like at least four times as big. As the temple that he built for God, he built for himself. Four times, could y'all imagine if I built a house four times as big as the church? I won't do that. That's my promise to you. It took him twice as long to build his house as it took to build the temple. He had... He had so much gold, he just had all these random shields of pure gold made, just for decoration, that, that's, that were in the palace. He had this crazy throne, you can read all about this, uh, where he sat and had lions everywhere. It was amazing. He actually, uh, in, at the palace, all the cups were gold-plated cups and utensils. They're all made from gold. He had, he had his own stables of horses, and they were imported. They were, they were imported from Egypt, which was especially, which was um, you know known to be the best horses were from Egypt, and he had them imported. It's kind of like the cars of the day. Like imagine like a, a big garage full of like sports cars imported from all over the world. I mean, this guy had so much stuff; it caused problems in his life. First Timothy chapter six verse nine says, "People who long to be rich." fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I mean, that's about as clear as it can get. Look, there's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is that money so easily has us. You, you've, you've, got to, you've got to stay on top of that. I mean, next, next, one day you're praying, God, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help so much. Next day, all your utensils are made of gold. This is a normal cup. I need the gold cup. How, how quickly we fall from humility and, and, and being content with what we have to having to have the best. I got to have the best house, the best car, the best clothes, the latest trends. There's something in us that 
lends itself to materialism. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I know what's important to you by what you accumulate. That's your treasure, your treasure, your storehouse. Whatever you store up the most of is what matters the most to you. Isn't it crazy? We have a billion dollar industry of temporary housing just to house all of our extra stuff. You've seen these warehouses everywhere. We pay money to put all the stuff that won't fit in our home somewhere else temporarily. It's a very lucrative business. Isn't that wild? It's amazing. Look, we don't need to fall to materialism like Solomon did. Solomon had so much wisdom. Had so, but even in the midst of that wisdom, materialism got him. It got him. It caused problems. Here's another thing that went wrong with, uh, with Solomon. is romantic relationships. Romantic relationships. What do I mean by this? I mean lust for sex and lust for companionship. First Kings chapter 11, verse 4. Now, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, from Ammon, from Edom, from Sidon, and from, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them, these other women, because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth. That means these, were, these wives, sorry ladies, this is just history, okay? God's not condoning this. He's reporting it. These women were likely um, bartered for as part of trade between countries. Like, we'll do this. We'll, We'll give you wood from Lebanon. We'll give you this. We'll be peace between our nations. Oh, and here are five of my daughters. That's this just kind of how it worked. And so he accumulated all these wives. And that's why it says from royal birth. These are these are royal women from other countries. And you'd think, wow. 700 wives, that should do it, right, Solomon? No, that didn't do it. He also had, not only did he have 700 wives, but he had 300 concubines. Now, a concubine, I'm going to use, there's kids in here, I'm going to use some wise language maybe. A concubine is not someone you're technically married to because they reserved marriage for political diplomacy. But it's someone that you just wanted to have around. For those lonely nights. 300. The 700 wives wasn't enough. There's 300 women. Not bartered for. Not a part of a a diplomatic contract or anything. He's like, oh, she's pretty. Here's here's the problem. Here's Here's what's wrong with us. Is that. We think that another person. Is going to satisfy the longings in our heart. But they're not. Look. I encourage you, if you're married this morning, your wife, your husband does not complete you, no matter what Jerry Maguire says. Think about that. What pressure to put on someone to have to complete them? Man, I I can't even complete myself. How could I possibly complete my wife? Look, completion is something 
be, uh, ha- having a purpose and destiny, that's something that only God can do in your life. And what Solomon was searching for is that he, he was wanting someone to give him fulfillment, and he looked to romantic relationships to do that. We do that today. You've done that. At some point in your life, you've done that. You've looked to another person and said, if I could just get married to this kind of person, everything's going to work out just right. Right. We, we, we search for the perfect person. If I could just have the perfect person. Look, if you found the perfect person, the problem is, is they wouldn't marry you. <laughs> right? And so we, we put all of our hopes and dreams and desires, fill me, make me feel good, make me feel purpose, and, and make me feel a sense of calling and worth in my life. They can't do that. You know, you get married to serve someone. You get married to lay down your life for them. It's not what they can do for you, it's what you can do for them. So Solomon made a huge mistake, a huge mistake. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20 says, run from sexual sin. The New King James says, flee. All right? That doesn't mean tiptoe up to it, look up, look at it, and be like, okay, I shouldn't do that. That means run. Like a bear's chasing you. Run. Flee from sexual sin. Why? What's the big deal? Come on. Why can't I do whatever I want to? No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's not that God's like, oh, I can't believe they, they did that, that nasty thing again. I can't believe that they're doing. No, it's a sin against your own body. Anytime God says something is a sin, it's because it hurts us. Anytime we go outside of the boundaries that he set for us, it hurts us. So he's saying, look, it hurts your own body. Verse 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You don't belong to yourself. Guys, you don't belong to yourself. I know that's not a fun thing. I know it would be a lot better if I said, you can do whatever you want and Jesus loves you. That's a lie. He loves you, but you will deal with the consequences of your actions. He won't, in his love, he will make sure that he doesn't shield you from the repercussions of your decisions. That's good parenting. That's good fathering. You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Quit expecting pleasure and companionship to make you whole. It never will. It simply creates an appetite, and appetites don't go away. They only grow. You ever had the best meal you've ever had in your life, and you think, I'm good, I don't have to eat again? No. Well, that's cool. I've had the best burger in the world, so now I never need another burger. No, it creates an appetite. for You want to go back. See, appetites don't go away when they're fulfilled. They actually grow when they're fulfilled. So, Solomon really dealt with romantic relationships. Here's the third thing he dealt with. He dealt with idolatry. 1 Kings 11, 4 through 8. In Solomon's old age, they, the women that he married turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was known for temple prostitution. The goddess of the Sidonians and Molech. Molech was known for child sacrifice. 
the detestable God of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable God of Moab, and another for Molech. Chemosh was another, he was connected to Baal. He was another one that dealt with human sacrifice. These are not like little, oh, this guy's similar to, to, to Yahweh. It's, it's no big deal. No, no. These were like the opposite of. These were detestable, terrible, terrible gods. Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? He went from having an encounter with the living God to allowing these false gods. He knew they were false gods. But why did he do it? Because of compromise that came from his romantic relationships. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. See, you have an earthly nature. Uh, New King James says your members. Or it talks about your body parts. Right? There is within you a desire to, to, to use your flesh for yourself. But it says, put to death, consider yourself dead to those desires. It says, whatever, brings your earthly, uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, then it lists some. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. All of it is all idolatry. See, you would never build a shrine to Molech, Right? You, you would never put up an, an asterisk pole in, in, your, in your house. But we worship things all the time that aren't God, right? We worship our checkbook, right? We worship our things. We, we worship power. We worship the title on the outside of our door in our office. We worship all sorts of things. The problem is God likes to give good gifts, but those good gifts make terrible gods. And so we have to watch out for idolatry. All of this stuff, living for ourselves, it's all idolatry. First John um, says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Now look, I know you don't have a little statue of Buddha in your house. I'm not saying you do. But you and I, we all have potential idols we've got to root out. It's, it's the right thing to do. God's so good to us. All right, I need to keep going. Here's, here's the fourth thing. Now, this is the most important one. If you didn't get any of these, this is the, most, the biggest thing that he did. He, he embraced knowing without doing. Solomon embraced knowing without doing. First Kings 11 says the Lord was very angry with Solomon. For his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared, with, who appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 17, check this out. This is the law. Solomon would have grown up memorized. He knew this scripture I'm about to read to you. The king must not build a large stable of horses for himself. Exactly what Solomon did. Or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. Exactly what Solomon did. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself. Broke that one about 699 times. Because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. Exactly what he did. He was warned. Even as a kid, he had memorized this passage. He knew it. But he said, you know, I know that. And that's good enough. I like to call this red ribbon syndrome. You ever seen, look, and, and I'm all for cancer awareness and all these things. But... People, just because you wear a ribbon on your lapel doesn't mean you've done anything. 
You know, in, in our culture, we, we, we like to substitute knowing for doing. Oh, I know about that, therefore I'm okay. No, no, no. There's something you need to do. And this is what Solomon missed. He replaced knowing with doing. Without, he, he replaced doing with knowing. James 4.17 puts it this way. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. It's a sin. If you know the right thing to do, you don't do it, that's a sin. That means for some things, it'll be a sin for you and not for others because they don't know better. But if you know better, it's a sin for you. So knowing without doing. Now, really quickly, I want to end with this. Another book that Solomon wrote was Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, he wrote towards the end of his life. Um, it, he, he says throughout there that life is uh, vanity, if you read it in the King James. And some of the newer translations say meaningless. Um, the, the Hebrew word here is hevel. Life is hevel. Uh, hevel means that everything is hevel. It's like, it literally means breath or vapor. It's like a, a puff of smoke. There, it, it's not, uh, there's no substance to it. Like it's not anything you can cling to or hold on to. It's empty. He's not saying that life is meaningless. Meaningless and vanity, none of those are really that great of a trans, translation. Hevel, it just means that it's temporary. It's, it's, it's not substantive. It's not anything that you can live for. He uses that phrase that, that life or everything is hevel 30, 30 times in Ecclesiastes. And it's so cool. At the end of his life, after all of this stuff, after all the gold-plated everything, and after all the, the relationships that he had, and, and after all of the, all the knowledge that he gained, we can actually see what he learned from these four areas where he struggled. Check this out. When it comes to materialism, he said this, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 11, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless. There's that word hevel. It's a puff of smoke, a puff of air. Empty. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Wow. So the guy that had everything, that's what he wrote to you. He said, look, don't, I bought the lie. Don't buy the lie. It's hevel. It's, it's a puff of smoke. It's vapor. There's nothing real about it. Well, what did he say about all those romantic relationships that he had? Ecclesiastes 9.9, live happily with the woman, singular, (laughs) not plural. Live happily with the woman you love through all the hevel days, the meaningless, the empty, the puff of smoke days that God gives you under the sun. The wife, singular, God gives you as your reward for all your earthly toil. Here's look, it's not about having every pleasure met it's about finding someone that you can share life with and come home after a hard day's work and say hey it kind of stunk today sweetheart and having that companionship that's what we that's what solomon ultimately said look it's not all of the people all of the women and and houses and houses and houses of women at your disposal it's not that it's that one it's that one person that you can commit your life to live self-sacrificially for and do life together with. That's what he learned. What about idolatry? Well, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he says, Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. He's like, look, all these other gods, 
I burnt sacrifices. I worshiped them too. They're, they're, it's, all, it's all garbage. The God, Yahweh, is the real God. Fear him. Obey him. His way is the right way. And then what did he say at the end of his life about knowing without doing? Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. He says this. This is the last words of the book of Ecclesiastes. His God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Because it's not about knowing. It's not just about knowing. You can't just know the right thing. You've got to do the right thing. He learned all this throughout his life. Everything anyone could ever dream of. And he said, look, it's all hevel. It's all meaningless. It's all empty. It's all vanity. It's a puff of smoke. It doesn't really matter. What really matters? It's not money. It's, it's, it's not a stable of horses or cars. It's not the nicest house on the block. It's, it's not sexual pleasure. You'll just be running from relationship to relationship, unfulfilled, unfulfilled, unfulfilled. It's finding one person who's imperfect just like you are and sacrificing your life for them. That's what it's about. Not them completing you, but the two of you coming together and joining together to serve one another and to live a life for the Lord. It's not about these other gods, all these other things that want your attention. It's about serving the one true God. And it's not about just knowing, having this, this intellectual wisdom. It's about doing what he says, because we'll give account. Even the things in secret, the things that are good, we'll give account for. And the things that are bad, we'll give account for. We've got to not just know the right thing, but we've got to do the right thing. This is the wisdom of Solomon. And he learned it the hard way. And my question to you this morning is this. Are you walking in God's wisdom? As we close out this series, we've learned what wisdom is. We've looked at the book of Proverbs. We, we've talked about how to, how to put wisdom in our lives. But here's the question. What about you? Are you walking in wisdom? Are you got it made? You got it all figured out? Are you willing to receive instruction? Are you willing to look to the word and say, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway because everything else is hevel. It's all meaningless. It's empty. It's vanity. Are you walking in wisdom? Let's stand for prayer. I want us to do some business with the Lord. If you will, close your eyes just as a way to block out distractions. Ask the Holy Spirit. He's always talking to us, and we talked about this some um, two weeks ago. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his voice. We're going to listen to his voice here. Now, you're probably not going to hear an audible voice. What you are going to hear is a thought. It's going to be like a bounce-back thought. Or you might even see something in your imagination. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this. In your own words, under your breath, not out loud, am I walking in wisdom? Am I walking in wisdom? Or am I giving into materialism? Am I pursuing fulfillment as a function of relationships? Have I lifted up my heart to other idols? Come on, ask him. Listen for the bounce back. Am I operating by knowing a bunch of stuff but not doing it? Now, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. If you'll let me, let me supply the words for you where we're going to commit to the Lord that we're not going to live this way. We're not going to be bound by the hevel of life.
the meaninglessness, the emptiness, the vanity. But we're going to live to know God and to make him known. Let me, let me uh, lead you in this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you give my life meaning. It's not the stuff of this world. It's not even other people. It's you. I reject materialism. I reject thinking that relationships will fulfill me. I reject idolatry. And I reject knowing without doing. I want to be wise. So I yield my heart to your wisdom. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to correct me and convict me. Make me wise. I ask for wisdom, just like Solomon did. And I receive it as a gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.